you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show and Podcast presented by Caesars Rewards. It's me, man, MG Marcus Grant, socially distancing and masking when and where possible. Uh, and this is it. We have come to the end of fantasy camp. It has been a lot of fun over the past month. Big thanks to all of my guests who stopped into the camp and, and shared their opinions. We've had a lot of laughs. We've had some disagreements, but it's all been a really good time. Of course, we still have one more division left to do. That is the NFC West, and I've got two people that I'm very excited to talk about it with. But before we get to them, let's do as we always do. Talk to our faithful producer, senior Edward L. Murphy Esquire. Murph, I hear you are having some some dental issues. Is that is that correct? <laughs> I um, over the weekend I celebrated a friend's birthday in a safe manner, and uh, we were having adult beverages. And uh, my girlfriend, being nice, tried to hug me. And the uh, I was drinking a line and cool, one of those uh, shandies, and the bottle, the top of the bottle went right up and hit me right in the tooth. So if I come in really far, uh, for those who are watching this uh, new digital live stream show, there is a little bit of an indent here. And just because of the, the current times of what's going on with, uh, with COVID and, and such, it is uh, not the easiest to get a dentist appointment. And I had to switch around my insurance. So this is fun. And I'll, I'll be carrying this around for at least a few more weeks. So just get used to it. Uh, oh man, that's that's amazing. Love hurts, uh, but at least yeah. you had a great. At least you had a shandy, which you know I think is an underrated summertime drink. Uh, is uh, it's so man. good. It's so refreshing. It's nice. A little bit of lemon, a little bit of beer mixed together. It's, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Well, uh, I don't know. Take some Tylenol or something, uh, and uh, hopefully we can get you patched up really, really Thank soon. You. Thank you. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, let's bring in the guests for today's show as we wrap up Fantasy Camp Series, and uh, we're talking about the NFC West. Uh, the first guy is uh, a person that I have – he's been on the show actually a few times here, and I think I met him in person for the first time, like a lot of my guests, at the King's Classic in Canton, Ohio, just a couple of years ago. You know him from Fantasy Pros. You can read him at Mike Tagliere NFL. Uh, if that didn't tell you who it is, I will tell you. It's Mike Tagliere. Uh, T-Tags, how you doing, man? Oh man, I'm good. I'm missing out on our on our get together. You know, we talked before the show about, you know, meeting up at the Kings Classic and my favorite part about that is just mingling with you guys. You know, you and I sat sat together on the couch during the auction. We went against each other in certain things and uh we had a good time, but I'm I'm happy to be talking football with you even if we are, you know, literally almost across the country. Yeah, I do remember in that draft uh, several times late where I like needed like a wide receiver or a running back. I think I would like put a dollar bid in there, and somebody in the room, sometimes you, would always just bid it up to two dollars just to annoy me. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, my next guest, you him plenty on this show. Love to have him back, partially because I love symmetry. He was here at the beginning of fantasy camp, so it makes sense that he's here at the end of fantasy camp. It is Michael Florio. Florio, welcome back, man. How are things? Things are as good as they can be right now. Thank you, as always, for having me and happy to bring Fantasy Camp full circle with you. Yeah, man. Time is a flat circle. 
you uh, where you started this thing. Uh, Especially right now. Show. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for obviously the people who are watching this, who have listened to this, you know how this goes. We go through each of the four teams in the divisions. I got some big questions about them. We do some superlatives, bests and worsts uh, for the NFC West, and then some fun either-or questions to wrap up the show. So we will start down in the desert with the Arizona Cardinals. And, and Tags, I will start this with you. Uh, Kenyon Drake is, has you know, gained a lot of excitement, understandably, because of the way he finished the season last year. But the question is, is Kenyon Drake right now worth a first-round pick in fantasy drafts? He absolutely is, and that's one of the reasons I'm okay being at the end of the first round is because you're able to usually get someone like Kenyon Drake. He's a true three-down workhorse. Uh, obviously, the team moved on from David Johnson off to the, uh, Houston in replace of DeAndre Hopkins. So, like, they've already basically said, we're done with David Johnson. We're going to move forward with you. They didn't draft a running back until the seventh round. Kenyon Drake, uh, obviously every time he's gotten an opportunity to shine in the starting job, he's done just that. Uh, he was the number four fantasy running back from the time that he joined the Cardinals until the end of the fantasy playoffs, uh, highlighting just the ceiling that he had. And this is a team that didn't run as many plays as they wanted to under Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, again, losing David Johnson is going to clear up a couple touches there, not drafting a backup until Eno Benjamin, the seventh round of the NFL draft. Chase Edmonds is a backup player. That's what he is. Uh, and Kenyon Drake is playing for another contract. Only five, he has under 500 career carries to his frame. Uh, he's a true three down back, and that's rare to find. So if you if you expect this offense to take a step forward, like many do in 2020, I think it would be wise to say Kenyon Drake should be a first round pick because let's be real about it. If you're a defense game planning against the Cardinals, you're not going to say Kenyon Drake is our main priority. You have DeAndre Hopkins in the field. You have Christian Kirk. You have the, the stud in Larry Fitzgerald. You have the legs in Kyler Murray. So uh, Kenyon Drake is going to continue to be highly efficient and he's getting that three down workhorse role. There's really no reason to doubt him. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been on board with Kenyon Drake for a while. Uh, I know that they, you know, I had James Coe. I talked to James Coe recently. He was sort of dubious and I was trying to convince him. So I'm going to send him this clip that you just, of everything you just said, Tags, send it directly to James Coe and tell him that I am right because that's, that's just who I am. Um, Tags did mention DeAndre Hopkins. And so, I mean, Florio, obviously he was one of the big moves in the off season. He comes over to Arizona, David Johnson uh, trade places and goes to Houston I don't know if, if Newt gets the same number of targets necessarily, but I still think he's productive. I mean, from where you sit, how much is he impacted by moving out to the Cardinals now? I think he's pretty impacted, and I think we're potentially overlooking it a little bit. I, I have him, he's still in my top 10 wide receivers just because of how talented DeAndre Hopkins is, but I'm really scared about that volume, like you said. He had been for years force-fed 150 targets each of the last five seasons. Bill O'Brien, I mean, we can knock him for the trades he makes and stuff, but the one thing he did was force-feed D-Hop the ball. And now he's going to a team, the Cardinals, that ran a four-wide receiver set 32% of the time last year. No other team even did so 10% of the time. So they spread the ball out a lot. The only uh, their, their lead target last year was Christian Kirk, averaging just a little bit over eight per game. And if you break that down, D-Hop last year averaged 1.75 fantasy points per target, and that's on pace with his career norm. That means for about every 10 targets, if you take away from him, he's going to lose about close to 18 fantasy points. And I, if you take away just 20 targets from that 150 to 130, which to me sounds very possible, he would have dropped last year from a top five wide receiver down to wide receiver 13. So I do think the volume concerns are being a little bit overlooked with DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I mean, I think that's fair. So, I mean, I guess that begs the question in tags. I mean, 
how much of a drop-off or is there a drop-off in quarterbacks then? I mean, between Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray, is there a way that possibly Newt can sort of make up uh, any target difference by, I don't know, yards after the catch, touchdowns? I mean, is there a way to sort of fill that gap in there, do you see? Yeah, there's definitely uh you, you have to look at that and say it's probably a slight downgrade. I would say Kyler Murray's a slight downgrade from Deshaun Watson, but at the same time, if we go through go back to 2017 when Deshaun Watson came into the league uh, and he, I, he you know, he was throwing three touchdowns a game that year before he got hurt. Uh, not many people realize that Tom Savage was the replacement quarterback there. Everybody knows that Tom Savage is no longer in the league. Uh, but DeAndre Hopkins actually averaged more fantasy points per game with Tom Savage than he did Deshaun Watson that year. So it's kind of crazy. Deshaun Watson or DeAndre Hopkins, the reason I'm not concerned about him is because continuously throughout his career he has performed with suboptimal quarterbacks the only quarterback that he truly struggled with was Brandon uh or Brock Osweiler and uh well let's just be honest I don't think anybody was going to perform with Brock Osweiler uh so I'm I'm not as worried now I do think that the targets come down but unfortunately once you get outside those top three wide receivers and when I'm talking about top three receivers I'm not including Tyreek Hill I'm saying it's Michael Thomas it's Devonte Adams and it's Julio Jones once you get outside those guys what you're doing is you're looking for a guy that's going to be stable in your lineup as a wide receiver one you don't make a trade like the cardinals did go get that number one wide receiver to, to let him sit on the bench now understandably so he is going to lose some target share because the cardinals last year did lead the nfl with a 63.5 percent target rate to their wide receivers that was the highest percentage in the nfl large part of that is because they don't use the tight end so there are going to be plenty of targets to go around especially if they do increase that those plays per game but at the same time, I'm going to put the cap on DeAndre Hopkins targets at 140. So he's probably like a mid-tier wide receiver one right now, rather than the elite wide receiver one that he's been the last few years. But that, that's right, well, my thing. You have to still pay that price, I think. Yeah. That I mean, elite but the wide receiver is, top five price. Right. But the question is, so Tyreek Hill, people are paying for Tyreek Hill is a borderline first round pick. Actually, he is going at the tail end of the first round. He's a guy that I highlighted in my article that I did recently. He's been a wide receiver two or better just 44% of the time in his career. People are paying for those high, crazy high performances, whereas like it depends on how you want your roster build. If you're looking for upside there, you're going to need to be safer later in your drafts. Whereas with DeAndre Hopkins, again, he's shown with a multitude of different quarterbacks and bad quarterbacks at that, that he can produce on a weekly basis. He may lose some of that ceiling because he's not seeing, you know, 10, 11 targets per game. But as a, as a solid, reliable wide receiver one, I'm OK with D-Hop. All right, so then I, the next question for me, and I'll, I'll start with you, Tags. I'll get your opinion too as well, Florio. Um, we know Nuke's going to get his targets, right? Uh, Christian Kirk is going to get some looks. Larry Fitzgerald, you know, what may be his last hurrah in the NFL, certainly going to get his opportunities there. But you know, last year, the Cardinals kind of went all in on getting some young wide receivers. They drafted Andy Isabella. They, they drafted Keyshawn Johnson. They drafted Hakeem Butler, who got hurt, and we didn't get to see him. I mean, Tags, is there anyone in that group that you can have any level of like maybe just a late round end of draft dart throw that, that you would be willing to take a shot on in drafts. This is a team where you really do need to pay attention to, you know, the COVID things going on and people being out of the lineup because they do run a whole lot of four wide receiver sets. And, you know, Demir Bird was someone last year that was getting six, seven targets at times, and he'd produce a little bit. You know, obviously, if you get someone like Andy Isabella on the field, uh, if you get someone like Hakeem Butler, I like Butler quite a bit. But again, missing it the first year of his career, that's not going to help. But at the same time, he was able to take in the playbook, whereas DeAndre Hopkins didn't really have the offseason to learn it. So you almost have to, like, look at, say, say, are they going to move Christian Kirk back into the slot? 
slot and him and Fitzgerald are going to be the primary slot receivers. You're going to have DeAndre Hopkins and maybe Hakeem Butler, maybe Isabella. I don't know how they're going to. This is where the preseason would really help us out, but we're not going to be able to see these things. I don't think you have to draft any of those backup wide receivers, but if there is an injury or if someone's going to miss some time, I would absolutely take a shot on picking up someone like Andy Isabella or Hakeem Butler, depending on which player had to go to the bench. Uh, which one of those guys uh, maybe tickles your fancy a little bit, Florio? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Tag said, but if I had to pick one, I would go with Andy Isabella. They did pay the highest amount of draft capital for him last year, and I, he struggled really mightily to see the field at times last year, but he does have that the most explosive upside, I think, and, and he's a field stretcher who can take the ball to the end zone at any point he get he's targeted. So uh, I've been targeting him in the later rounds of best ball drafts. I think in a regular draft, though, you don't need to invest in anyone outside of the top three wide receivers here. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a, a good point. I mean, for an offense that seems to have a whole lot of options, uh, they maybe have too many options, I think, for us to pick from. So uh, maybe it's best we just sort of, you know, kind of ignore the guys beyond the, the top three or four. All right, let's talk about the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, this is a team that just a couple of years ago was in the Super Bowl. I mean, and last year they missed the playoffs. Things are sort of topsy-turvy in Los Angeles. And let's start with the backfield. And, Florian, I will start with you. I mean, choose your fighter. Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown. Which guy you, you like most here? For me, it's Cam Akers. I would throw Malcolm Brown away, right? Like, I, I don't think that he is really more anything more than just a third option there for the Rams. But Cam Akers, they paid that high draft capital to get him. And last year, of all prospects, of running back prospects, he had the fourth most Missed tackles forced. And then also the issue with the Rams last year was their O-line. Well, PFF ranked Cam Akers' O-line at FSU 134th out of 135 ranking offensive lines. So I think he has some experience running behind a poor O-line. He does cost more to get in fantasy drafts. You typically got to pay a fifth-round price to get him, where Henderson you can get in the ninth or tenth round. But still, I think they brought in Akers for a reason. He's uh, really he's shown us in college how talented he is, how he can operate behind a bad O-line. My biggest concern with him, though, is he didn't run a lot in the outside zone, and that was what we heard was plaguing Daryl Henderson last year was his inability to really learn that zone. Uh, I, you never like to hear any head coach comparing their backfield to the 49ers because that's just a fantasy mess. So hearing <laughs> McVay say that wasn't too great. But I do think Akers here is the guy, and, and he is someone that I've targeted a lot in like the fifth or sixth round of my early drafts. Uh, are you are you a, a Cam Akers fan as well, Tags? No, uh, unfortunately, I'm not. I you know the, the big <laughs> knock on him the big knock on him coming out of college was that he he was playing behind a poor offensive line, and now he's going to the Rams, who I would argue have a bottom three offensive line in football, and that's why you didn't see any of the running backs in the roster, none of them. Todd Gurley, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown doesn't matter. Uh, all of them average 3.8 yards per carry or less. It's just a terrible offense right now to run the football. They also stopped involving their running backs in the passing game. It. The way that I looked at the Rams last year, when I, you know, when you have a when you have a chance to step back and actually look at everything that happened, I tracked team stats year over year. And what I saw from the Rams from 2018 to 2019, it was a team that almost went through a head coaching change. Now they obviously didn't. Sean McVay's there. He changes his offense as things go, and it makes it very unpredictable. But what I do know is that he's he's already said it's going to be a timeshare backfield. They want to use four different running backs in the backfield. So Cam Akers being drafted in the range of someone like Kareem Hunt. Give me Kareem Hunt. I'm guaranteed RB3 flex type production. And if something were to happen to Nick Chubb, I know that he's going to step into that RB1 role and he's going to be a top five running back. 
Cam Akers, I just don't know what the ceiling is because, again, he's playing behind another poor offensive line, and people were just as high on Daryl Henderson last year. People were drafting Daryl Henderson, I think it was a fifth or a sixth round because they were worried about Todd Gurley. Uh, so I, I think this is one of those things where we everybody wants the Rams running back because of what Todd Gurley did you know, two, three years ago. It's not the same offense. You know, a couple things. One, I have decided that Cam Akers' full given name is Cam Akers, who ran behind a bad offensive line at Florida State, because that's kind of how everybody <laughs> yeah. describes him when we talk about him. Um, but the other thing you mentioned, and it's kind of as a tangent, it is sort of why I have at least a little bit of hope for Todd Gurley to have a rebound. It's that you know, early in his career, he was a big part of the passing game in Los Angeles, or with the Rams. I mean, he started in St. Louis and then came to L.A., um, last year, he just was completely ignored in that respect. And I'm thinking that the Falcons maybe get him more involved there. What this means for Akers or Henderson or Brown or, you know, John Kelly or, you know, Gaston Green or anybody else that the Rams run out there at running back, I, I don't know. Um, so it does kind of make me a little bit worried about what their potential ceiling is going to be. Uh, time for something new. In fact, it is time for High Upside, presented by Caesars Rewards, where we look at a player with Shocking. High upside. Uh, so the question becomes, Mike Florio, I'll start with you here. What do you see as the ceiling for Tyler Higby this year? Finishing as the tight end three behind Kelsey and Kittle. I think his upside is really that high. We saw it in the final five weeks of the season last year when McVay, like Tags was saying, just changes offense on the fly. For Since McVay really took over as the head coach of the Rams, his whole offensive scheme was running 11 personnel with the three wide receiver set. And last year in the final, you know, five weeks of the season, he really changed that, started running a much more 12 personnel offense, which is a two tight end set. And Tyler Higby thrived. He was averaging, we, we know what he did, 100 yards every single game, 21, over 21 fantasy points per game. But what I think uh, goes a little bit under the radar too is he was seeing 11 targets per game in that set, in that offensive set. And he was thriving. The Rams, Goff, and the whole offense as a whole took off after that point. To me, I don't think you can look at this offense and be like, all right, well, they're going to get Higby out now and get Gerald Everett in because imagine what Gerald Everett would have done if he was healthy down the stretch. Like, to me, I think this is Higby's job. I think his upside is really that high, and it's why I have no issues taking him as my tight end after if I miss out on the Kelsey and Kittle, I'll wait till rounds five, six, seven, and grab a Higby because I think after that, maybe even after Mark Andrews and Ertz, you could say you could take them off. No one's upside is higher, in my opinion, than Tyler Higby. All right, so Florio's going for, for tight end three. Tags, do I hear two? Do I hear two from you for taking me? No, <laughs> no. No, I mean, arguing off what he did in the five-game sample size to close out the season, you could say that he could be tight end one. I mean, if you really wanted to go there, because uh, there's only one tight end in history that had posted 84-plus receiving yards in five straight games. It's Tyler Higby. However... Tyler Higby didn't top 48 yards for 40 or for 56 of the first 58 games he played. They did draft Gerald Everett uh, in the second round with Tyler Higby on the roster. Uh, you know, they were running more 12 personnel, but I would argue that Jared Goff's a better quarterback when throwing to Cooper Cup. They need Cooper Cup on the field. So when you add in all the scenario around, so Sean McVay did adapt, and obviously losing Brandon Cooks was a big thing, uh, not having him on the field, not being the player that he was, um, you know, and then going to having an injury to Gerald Everett. I think there were a multitude of things that, that that lended to Tyler Higby having a breakout at the end of the year. And when also you figure in, he played the Arizona Cardinals twice during that stretch. He played the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Those were legitimately the two worst defenses in all of football when it came to defending the tight end position. So there were so many things going in Higby's, like in, in his favor. And again, 
I don't want to sit here and pretend this is one of those things in fantasy football where we can't say with any certainty how what Sean McVay is going to do. So I, I think Tyler Higby's ADP is correct right around that tight end eight because, again, he does have that top three upside that uh, that Mike's talking about. But he also has some severe downside that we saw throughout the first few years of his career. I would argue that someone like Hayden Hurst is probably safer uh, in terms of what his role is on his team. And he might come with just as much upside because we saw what Austin Hooper did last year. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you know, we've got we've got a solid top tier of tight ends, right? You've got your Kelsey and Kittle at the top. Um, mm-hmm. You've got those guys that are kind of high upside guys late in drafts, whether you're going to throw a Gasicki in there, uh, uh, you know, a Jonu Smith and Noah Fant, what have you, maybe in, I guess, Eric Ebron. I don't know if he, he qualifies as that. In the middle, I feel like there's just this mishmash of guys, right? Whether it's, it's they all seem to start with H, Higby, Hurst, Hooper, um, you know, maybe some other guys whose names don't begin with an H. Uh, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels like that's all. The range of outcomes for some of those guys, I think, is really, really wide. Um, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I don't know where to go with it. I Higby. I'm still sorry. I'm sorry. I'm still reeling, Florio, from your 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 <laughs> number three potential ceiling on uh, on Tyler Higby. I just because, like you said, after the top four, I think they all have huge question marks. And for me, like seeing what Higby did down the stretch last year, I don't know if any other tight end can, and after the big four can match that. So I'm just thinking like, hey, if I'm taking a tight end after the, the big four are proven, I'm going to go with the most upside. All right. Fair enough. Cool. All right. That was High Upside presented by Caesars Rewards. Draft a team with NFL Fantasy this season, and you could win a trip to take your league to Caesars Palace, Las Vegas, for the fantasy playoffs. Download the NFL Fantasy app, draft a team, and select the trip to Caesars Palace from among the three grand prizes you can win. Uh, all right. Before we wrap up with the Rams... Mike Tagliere, who is the real Jared Goff? Is it the guy that a couple years ago was lighting the world on fire? Is it the guy last year who was just fairly meh? Is it somewhere in between? Have we seen who the actual Jared Goff is at this point? It's somewhere in between. And unfortunately, you know, what we're seeing right now, what we saw in 2019 is probably a, a sign of things to come because they didn't address the offensive line. You know, when you have a an offensive line that they do, Andrew Whitworth has been talking about retirement. His game is, is trending downward. I don't know if they have an above average player on that offensive line anymore. Uh, that's a real problem for Goff because he's not someone that, you know, he can't buy time like a Deshaun Watson, like a Kyler Murray. He can't do that. Uh, like Russell Wilson, you know, all these guys in this division. Um, so unfortunately, he needs to either learn to take a sack or stop throwing interceptions because he's a guy that legitimately, he he refused to take a sack last year. Uh, He only took 22 sacks, I think, on the entire season. That's just not going to work. You have to learn to hold on to the football and stop taking chances. And now losing Brandon Cooks in the offense, that field-stretching element that he had with Cooks, that he had with Sammy Watkins. I know they drafted a receiver there in the second round, but at the same time, it's a rookie receiver. We're, we're like We have a shortened offseason, almost no offseason at all, with no preseason work. There's a lot of question marks surrounding this offense. So Jared Goff, to me, is a streaming quarterback. You can, I think he's a good target to go after in two quarterback leagues because what I typically aim for in those in those leagues is someone that is, is a is, – basically entrenched in their job. They're not going to lose their job. We know that Jared Goff is never going to get benched. Uh, Gardner Minshew, one of those guys, you know, we talk about those guys in the QB2 area. But in terms of one quarterback leagues, Jared Goff does not need to be rostered. You can stream him. He'll be available on the waiver wire because he just doesn't perform well against good football teams. 
Uh, Florio, are we are we at a point now where this is sort of? I mean, I think it's a make or break year in a lot of ways for Jared Goff. Are we looking for fantasy purposes that this is sort of a make or break year for Sean McVay as the boy genius too? Because you know, like last year was just okay. Um, I mean, I feel like if we have another just okay or less than okay year, maybe maybe we just stop full wholeheartedly buying a Sean McVay offense. Is that is that a weird thing to think? I, I don't think it's a make-or-break year for McVay. I mean, McVay gave us two of the best years we've ever seen out of a running back and in his offense as a whole. Like, I mean, those two years he had before last year, his offense, we all thought, he, like he said, he was a boy genius. And then even last year, the offense struggled. But for fantasy, he provided some a lot of fantasy goodness. Like, Todd Gurley, down year, I completely admit that. But top 15 running back still. Uh, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods were still doing their thing. Tyler Higby, like Tag said earlier, literally had a stretch that no tight end in NFL history has been able to ever do before. So while his offense and, and real life, he was definitely a disappointment. I think for fantasy, he was still providing plenty of fantasy goodness. And I continue to hope that, you know, we'll have a Sean McVay offense in the NFL for a long time. I mean, I suspect he's not going, going anywhere in a while. So uh, maybe this is just me being alarmist, which, you know, is prone to happen <laughs> when things go a little bit sideways. All right, let's check in up in Santa Clara with the San Francisco 49ers, which is a weird sentence to say because they don't play anywhere near San Francisco. But, you know, whatever. Um, Florio, I, you were really high on, on Tyler Higby, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the well again and see what are your expectations, what is potentially the ceiling for Raheem Mostert now that we know he's locked in with the 49ers this year? Yeah, I am the complete opposite side of the spectrum from Higby when it comes to Raheem Mostert. I, I am fading him and fading him hard. Uh, with him getting that contract, I think his ADP is actually going to climb because people are going to think he is secure uh, as the 49ers starting running back. And if 2019 taught us anything, it is that no one is secure as the 49ers starting running back. Last year, they had five different players finish a week as their highest scoring fantasy running back that is just absurd for fantasy. And then also, when you dive deep into Raheem Mostert's stretch uh, from weeks 12 through 17, he was only averaging 12.8 touches per game and 1.2 catches per game. So right there you see that his PPR floor is very low because he doesn't get those catches that are going to pad his numbers each week. And he had eight touchdowns on 77 touchdowns uh, touches in that span. That is 46% of his fantasy points were scored off of touchdowns. And then if you want to stretch it out and include, you know, the run throughout the playoffs in the Super Bowl, I know he had that amazing game against the Packers. Well, he had 13 touchdowns on 133 touches in that span. That means once per every 10 touches, he was scoring a touchdown. 45% of the fantasy points he would have scored if you include the playoffs were off of touchdowns. That is just completely unsustainable. That number is going to come back down in a big way, I think. And then, the, the reason that he doesn't catch passes. And then also that it was last year that backfield was a revolving door. And I don't want to draft someone in the fifth round knowing that if he has a bad game or two, we could see Coleman in there. We could see Jarek McKinnon maybe finally get a snap as a niner. We could see uh, <laughs> Hurst get in there, uh, get, get in there. So I'm just, for me, Mostert is a big time fade and someone that I want no part of in fantasy this year. All right, well then, Tags, do you feel any more confident in, say, a Tevin Coleman? I, Jared McKinnon feels like a stretch just because he's never been on the field. But, I mean, would you would you take a late-round swing at a Tevin Coleman at this point? Ah, uh, no, no. Um, the reason I feel better <laughs> about Mostert, um, so the Mostert contract, 
I can't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it doesn't matter because there is something to it because the 49ers could have said, we don't really care if you want to hold out, if you want to get traded, I don't care. And we'll get rid of you because you're replaceable in Kyle Shanahan's system, but they did give him the money. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, you, a lot of people uh, talk about, you know, his late age breakout and it's like, okay, that's the thing. But Damian Williams, it happened to Kenyon Drake obviously wasn't used under Adam Gase. Like he should have been, uh, there's, there's some question marks around some coaches and how they use their running backs, but either way, uh, Raheem Mostert, when he's been given a shot, he's actually been a really, really good running back. And the best part about it is that you're not really paying for what the production that you could get out of him. Now, drafting him in the RB3 range, that's fair. Uh, he averaged less than 10 combined carries and touches uh, uh, targets per game last year. But if you look at the at the team as a whole, Matt Breida's gone. Matt Breida was actually a talented running back. Tevin Coleman is the opposite of that. Kevin Tevin Coleman has struggled any single time. He works best as like a satellite back that you're giving 10 touches per game to. The 49ers offense last year created 32.7 combined carries and targets per game to running backs. That was one of the highest in the NFL. So even if you give Tevin Coleman those 10 touches, whatever you want to give him, we're down to 22. And it's like, okay, Jarek McKinnon, are we really going to count on him after being out of the league basically for two years? Not a whole lot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, so I'm going to say that's like 15 plus touches for, for Raheem Mostert. Getting him as like the 26th running back off the board, 25th, somewhere around there as your RB3, I'm down with it. There is some risk involved with it because as we saw last year, this is a team that really didn't want to go to one running back. But I think Kyle Shanahan finally figured out that Tevin Coleman is not a feature back and that he needs to be in that backup role. And that's where he's most successful. He's fine in that role. But don't trust him as a workhorse back. You've never seen Tevin Coleman have games like Raheem Mostert did on the stretch. So I do think this is Mostert's backfield. Unfortunately, it is going to be somewhat of a timeshare. But that's what you're. That's why he's falling to the RB 25, 26 in drafts. You're fine taking him there. Yeah, uh, Adam Reich years ago coined the phrase Shanahanigans originally yeah. uh, for Mike Shanahan, but uh, his son has inherited that. So <laughs> it's just something to to be aware of. Um, Tags, I'll stay with you here. How high is too high to draft George Kittle right now? There's really no such thing. Um, <laughs> if you want to, if you, if you, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to, you're not going to take him in the top five or anything like that, but if you want to take him at the start of the second round, I'm not going to fault you for it. Him and Kelsey are in a tier by themselves and at a position that we, we know it's, it's extremely volatile. And those guys are legit like head and shoulders above everybody else. And Kittle just hasn't scored the touchdowns that he needs to, to get above Kelsey. But now Kelsey, not many people realize is like 31 years old. He's getting up there in age and Kittle's at the age where it's like breakout tight ends happen. So Kittle with no Debo Samuel on the team, I, I anticipate more targets for him. And I want to say that he scored, I want to say three touchdowns last year with Debo Samuel off the field. So it's like Debo Samuel being out for potentially a couple of weeks and not being even his old former self is going to lend credence to George Kittle scoring double digit touchdowns. That's a real thing, a real possibility this year. And if you have a tight end that's, you know, setting records in terms of yardage, he's scoring double digit touchdowns you're going to be happy that you spent a second round pick on him. Fortunately, you don't have to. Uh, and if you start your draft with someone like Christian McCaffrey at the one spot, a lot of times George Kittle is getting to that back end of the second round. I am more than happy to take him there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've gotten him at, at like 208 on a couple of different occasions and been perfectly thrilled with that. Uh, yeah. I, I sort of pegged this as the year that George Kittle takes over as the number one tight end. I think this is the year he, he gets past Travis Kelsey. And I think especially because there are – so many issues with the rest of those pass catchers. And so that that begs the question, Mike Florio, uh, we know that Devo Samuel is hurt. He looks like he's going to miss a, a good chunk of the season. Brandon Ayuk had off-season surgery, and he sort of has that rookie learning curve that he has to deal with there. Are there any other Niners pass catchers right now that you are interested in drafting uh, on, off this roster? Yeah, and 
it's Jalen Hurd for me, and he is a player that you can get round 14, 15, sometimes even later in a best ball draft. So we are going pretty deep here, but Kyle Shanahan drafted this guy in the third round last year before back injury uh, ruined his season, but he is a 6'5", 226-pound wide receiver who played running back in college and started over Alvin Kamara. So hearing Kyle Shanahan talk about playing positionless football and then hearing like Raheem Mostert this week boast about how great of a blocker Jalen Hurd is, I think that's just going to lead to him being on the field more and someone who has experience as a receiver and a running back in a Kyle Shanahan offense trying to play positionless football. I think he is someone who can thrive in that role uh, and be a really big factor with the ball at, in his hands after the catch. So Jalen Hurd, if you're getting deeper in your drafts, he is a name that I like. I have heard some Jalen Hurd hype this offseason, uh, especially when we've had all these other injuries uh, and surgery situations in San Francisco. Jalen Hurd's name has come up a couple of times. I, I will say, though, Florio, you saying that he started over Alvin Kamara, it it makes me nervous for him in the sense that, you know, how often do we talk about the fact that Mike Glennon started over Russell Wilson and you see how those two careers have uh, sort of diverged from one another. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Let's head up to the Emerald City. We'll talk the Seattle Seahawks with, uh, wait, what is he called? Mr. Unlimited uh, <laughs> Russell Wilson, which that was bizarre to me because like the original video, like the questions that were being asked in the background, the answers were Mr. Unlimited and they didn't make sense. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> but uh, let's start with let's start with Mr. Unlimited, Mr. Russell Wilson uh, up there in Seattle. Uh, I mean, Mike Taglier, I feel like when we talk about Russell Wilson, it's almost like we take him for granted, right? Like everybody understands and, and appreciates the fact that he is very talented and he, he does a, an excellent job with what he does. We don't necessarily talk about him the way we talk about Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. I just feel like, you know, when you talk about Russell, nobody's really on fire to talk about Russell Wilson and like, yeah, I got Russ in, you know, whatever, the, the fifth round, sixth round. Nobody really talks. Why? Why is it that we just we look at Wilson and, and we're like, yeah, he's really good and I'll draft him and it's fine. Nobody seems to get really excited over Russell Wilson and I can't figure out why. I think it's because they're worried about the lack of total pass attempts that they can get in the offense because we've seen it gone for too long where Russell Wilson, he may arguably the most, I mean, the second most talented quarterback in this league right now. Unfortunately, he doesn't get to showcase that as much as some of the other players do because you don't see him get 600 pass attempts. If you were to see Russell Wilson get 600 pass attempts, you might see some records broken because this guy continually breaks efficiency. You look at all of his wide receivers, you go back to Doug Baldwin and people are like, oh, he can't, he can't keep up this touchdown rate. Then you go to Tyler Lockett, oh, he can't keep up this touchdown rate. Then you go to DK Metcalf. And it's like it continually happens. And what's the what's the common denominator here? It's Russell Wilson. Uh, the reason that I am high on Russell Wilson this year, and I would take him over Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is, is a big popular breakout candidate. But when you take him as the four, number four quarterback overall, you're essentially losing all the potential equity you have in there. You need him to take that next step in his career. Whereas Russell Wilson, he's been a top two quarterback before. He's been there. He's always there. And this year, more than ever, his defense is as bad as it's ever been. Uh, and when you look at it and you go towards the, the cornerbacks that they went out, and basically tried to acquire because they had uh, it was Shaquille Griffin as their top cornerback and then they were really struggling behind him so they went out and signed Quentin Dunbar from, from Washington and then Quentin Dunbar gets arrested uh, he's probably not going to play in the NFL season. At the very least, he's going to be suspended for a while. So it's like you look at this the secondary. I know they just traded for Jamal Adams. That's obviously going to give a boost to the back end of the defense, but it's still the team that lacks pass rush, and they're ex they're expecting that back end of the defense to take care of things. I don't think it's going to work out as planned. So I think you're going to see Russell Wilson continue to ascend in pass attempts, and as that happens, good things are going to happen in fantasy football. 
Well, yeah, as Tags mentioned, I mean, the, the pass attempts, it, it's always frustrating. And I know we all watch the Seahawks and think, why don't you just put the ball in number three's hands and let him do his thing? Yep. That has never been the case. I'm pretty sure that the name Pete Carroll is ancient Gaelic for establish the run, which <laughs> look has worked out well for Chris Carson, right? Now they go out and they add Carlos Hyde this offseason. Rashad Penny, we'll, we'll see what his role is going to be. Uh, I mean, Mike Florio, when you look at Carlos Hyde, how do you feel about him potentially this year in this offense? I'm not a huge advocate of drafting handcuffs, but I think in, if you draft Chris Carson, like you 100% should be trying to get Carlos Hyde. Like you said, Penny likely starting on the pup. Carson last year hurt his hip. We don't know. He did not have the operation he chose to rehab, so we don't know exactly how well his hip is going to hold up if he is still the Chris Carson of old. Chris Carson always outperforms. I feel like is always a value. Like He's an RB1 when he is on the field. It's just that injuries have plagued him throughout his uh, career, and that's why he goes a little bit later in drafts. But if he is not himself or if he gets banged up early on in the year and the injury doesn't happen late in the season like it did last year, I think Carlos Hyde can very much so come on this team. Like you guys were talking about, they love to run the ball. Pete Carroll's game plan is basically keep it close and let Russell Wilson bail him out uh, later in the game. But if he keeps calling plays like that, Carlos Hyde very well could rush for another super boring 1,000 yards like he did last season. And to <laughs> me, if he got the starting job, he'd be more of like an RB3 or flex option. But that's still value to be had given that he goes round 15 or later in a lot of drafts. Uh, weird theory that I just came up with right now, right? Is Carlos Hyde sort of on track to be the new Frank Gore? The guy who just sort of hangs around the league, he bounces around the teams, like he's, you know, he, he'll, he'll come in and he'll give you, you know, like 900 to 1,000 yards. He'll never be spectacular. And, you know, 10 years from now, we're, we're joking that Carlos Hyde is going to live forever. Like, I, I, it could I, be I, him, I'm, like, I'm or new LeGarrette Blunt, or LeGarrette Blunt, one of the other. Yeah. 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 I'm just, I'm saying this is, this is <laughs> going to be Carlos Hyde coming up. Um, Carlos Hyde was like kind of injury prone early on, too, like Frank Gore, I think. I think this adds like up. Frank Gore he was. was. Yeah. Started with the 49ers. I mean, there are so many. Look, man, it's it's all coming together. <laughs> it's all coming together right now. Uh, Mike Taglier, who'd you rather, Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf? This is going to sound like a real cop-out, but it depends on how you want to build your team. Uh, you know, I think of fantasy lineups as like the stock market, right? Like, you, you know, you have to have your blue chip stocks. You have to have uh, some high risk things. And you like, you need some people that have guaranteed returns. I think Tyler Lockett's the guaranteed return, the one who has very little variance. Uh, obviously, people keep, as I mentioned, they expect him to have touchdown regression. And it just doesn't happen because he plays with Russell Wilson. He has that slot role. It's a very valuable role. And I think he's a safer player because we've heard them talking about Antonio Brown. We've heard them talking about Josh Gordon bringing him back. And if they do, that that affects DK Metcalf more than it does Tyler Lockett because Lockett's role in the slot is, is locked down. It's there. DK is still going to be a starter, obviously, uh, but DK is the one with the, the massive upside. Like if you're shooting for a top 10 potential, DK has got it. Uh, he's a guy that's been working out with Russell Wilson this offseason. You know, DK was a guy that came in the league. I loved him. He, him and AJ Brown were my 1A and 1B receivers. I, I have I love DK's landing spot, which is why he was my number one rookie last year, hands down. Uh, but we can't forget he had a knee scope last preseason. People didn't think he was going to be ready for week one. And then on top of that, they talked about him being a raw receiver and that he can't move. He can only run the go route. Well, DK Metcalf evolved as the year went on and you've seen him grow as a player. You've seen them start to move him around the formation, start to run more than just those nine routes. And then you see him break a rookie record in the playoffs against the Eagles. Uh, DK Metcalf growing with Russell Wilson. That was the best landing spot for him. And 
it really the league shame on the NFL. Every other th- you know all thirty one other teams that had a chance to draft DK Metcalf before the Seahawks got him. I mean, think about this for a second. The Eagles drafted JJ Arthago Whiteside before DK Metcalf. How bad is that? Uh, so the <laughs> DK Metcalf top ten wide receiver ceiling. He comes with a little bit more risk because of the names that they're talking about bringing in. But uh, I will say Lockett's a safer one. DK, if you're looking for a massive breakout potential. Uh, how you feeling about that, Floria? You you kind of in the same boat there? I am. I actually too in, in tags like uh, right on with him. I wrote an article this year for a league winner, finding a league winner in each round. And for round five, my debate was between these two Seahawks wide receivers. I ultimately though went with Tyler Lockett because I. I think him and Russell Wilson are the most efficient quarterback wide receiver combo in the league. Like two years ago, Russell Wilson had a perfect passer rating when targeting Tyler Lockett. That is just incredible. And last year was super high as well. Uh, and the one concern I have with this offense is, are they going to let Russell Wilson air it out like we all are hoping they are? They say they're going to because the thing every year is, all right, well, this offense could be great if they just let Wilson pass more. If that doesn't happen this year and they're still, you know, limiting Russell Wilson's passes every week, I trust the efficiency uh, with Tyler Lockett that he's going to get his, even if the targets are a little bit more suppressed than I do with DK. Also, I think we're people tend to forget that through the first nine weeks last year, Tyler Lockett was the wide receiver three, and in points per game, he was still in the top ten. And then he got hurt, and he had a leg injury. He didn't miss any time because they had the bye week the next week. But he was hospitalized with a leg injury. And in the weeks after that, his targets went down. His fantasy points went down. He had a game where he finished with zero fantasy points. That's just not who Tyler Lockett is. So I think uh, Tyler Lockett, the first nine weeks, is more who he is. But I love both of these wide receivers. I think their their prices are fine, and both have really sky-high upside if they do allow Russell Wilson to start throwing the ball you know, 600 times this year. Yeah, I do think that last point that you made about Lockett is fair, too, because I think a lot of times the last thing we see of a player is sort of what we remember of him going into the offseason. And what we saw of Tyler Lockett at the end of last year was really frustrating because he was in a a pretty big slump. And I think I think it's fair to remember who he was early in the season before the injury happened. So uh, I think that's that's pretty good way to look at it. Time to look at some superlatives fantasy-wise from the NFC West division. So uh, I'll get both of your opinions, but I'll start with you, Tags. Who do you think is going to be the top scoring fantasy quarterback out of the NFC West? I'm guessing it's one of two choices at this point, but I'm going to ask you, which of those two choices do you think it will be? Yeah, I'm going to go Russell Wilson and for all the reasons I talked about, just saying that I expect this this team to move forward with pass attempts. And I know I know the Cardinals want to with Kyler Murray, but uh, at the same time, the defense has to take a step forward for that to happen, for them to get back on the field. So I'm going to say Russell Wilson. Uh, all right. Uh, Florian, where are you going with this one? Wilson or I'm guessing Kyler Murray is the only other real legitimate option. Unless maybe you think Jared Goff or Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't limit you like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta be unlimited, right? Like, but that's what I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Russell Wilson. Uh, I have these uh, him and Kyler back to back in my rankings, but I agree with a lot of what Tag said. Like, if they let him throw more, his upside is sky high, and I think he is the safer floor of the two. So I do have him one spot higher. All right, uh, we'll stay with you, Florio. Then here, who will be the top scoring fantasy running back out of the NFC West? Oh, it's Kenny and Drake for me, and that, that's a pretty easy one. I, I really love uh, Drake. I'm with Tags with everything he said earlier. Last year, the Cardinals running backs uh, were third in fantasy points per touch, 
uh, among as teams in the league behind only the Panthers, who CMC obviously pushed that up, and then the Chargers, who had Gordon and Eckler, probably the best one-two running back punch in the league. So that just showed you how effective the Cardinals' backs were, and it didn't matter who the starter was last year. It was David Johnson. The first six weeks, he was averaging almost 25 fantasy points per game. Uh, Chase Edmonds had his cup of coffee where he was the RB1 one week, and everyone freaked out. And then after that, Kenyon Drake came in and was a top you know, 10 RB. So whoever it was last year, uh, they showed that they want to use one back and that that back can be a top 10 running back in fantasy. So I think it's Kenyon Drake pretty easily for me. The tags, could I nudge you toward Chris Carson, or are you, you going to stick with, with Drake on this one too? You cannot nudge me away from Kenyon Drake because you need to tell James Coe that he's wrong. Uh, James is a friend. Uh, <laughs> this is hi, true. This is true. Uh, no, but in reality, no, it's Kenyon Drake here. Uh, you know, Florio mentioned it that, you know, it didn't matter who the starting running back was. If you were to take just the starting running back, I'm not talking about take the entire roster, just the starting running back from all 16 games from the Cardinals. So it was six David Johnson, two Chase Edmonds, and eight uh, Kenyon Drake. Put them together, they would have finished as the number three fantasy running back slightly. I think it was like two or three points behind Aaron Jones. So therefore, I mean, you do that and it's like Kenyon Drake, I think he played, he outplayed David Johnson. He outplayed Chase Edmonds. And it's like once he be, once he got uh, once he became part of that team and they embraced him as a workhorse running back that he actually is, they decided to put the transition tag on. That's a lot of money to pay a running back in, in one season, but they know they could use him. They could abuse him. They could do whatever they want. And again, he posted those numbers last year. All of them posted that numbers on that, on that team last year that was horrifically on defense. So uh, you know that the better your defense plays, the more rushing attempts you're going to get, the more involved your running backs are going to get in your game plan. Uh, all right, uh, Tags, who are your biggest, who's the biggest sleeper or sleepers? Uh, understanding that that word is sort of relative nowadays, but the biggest sleepers out of the uh, NFC West for you. Yeah, Florio, he, he stole my thunder, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, he mentioned Jalen Hurd earlier. That's my guy. Uh, before the NFL draft, I, I mentioned him as a day three guy to watch where he landed because I, I really felt like he was a day three pick. And uh, the 49ers obviously took him on day two in the top of the round three. Uh, he's someone that, as Florio mentioned, he started his career as a running back, and he didn't switch to wide receiver until his final season there and posted 1,000 yards as his first year as a receiver. The kid is just a crazy athlete, and this team is lacking players who can basically get on the field right now. Brandon Ayuk, as you mentioned, coming off surgery. He's a rookie, no training camp, nothing like that. Debo Samuel not going to play for a little while. The ball has to go somewhere, and if you're going to try and find someone that can mimic the way that they use Debo Samuel in that short passing game, giving him some handoffs, uh, make him create after the catch, Jalen Hurts absolutely that guy. So if you're playing in like an 18... 18- uh, 18 round uh, redraft league. I think taking a last pick on someone like Jalen Hurd, who, by the way, 49ers, they're playing Carolina week one. Uh, Carolina's defense, I think a lot of people are projecting to be one of the worst in the NFL. So it could be one of those DFS opportunities. You could be getting ahead of your league on the waiver wire. So grab Jalen Hurd. Uh, Florian, where are you going with this one? You, you staying with Hurd or you going somewhere else? I like Hurt a lot, and he would probably be my biggest, but I can go in another direction. I, I think when I was talking about Mostert in the Niners' backfield, I said Hurst. I accidentally said that. I meant Jamichael Hasty, and I think he's another big sleeper here just because, like, last year the, the Niners' backfield was a revolving door, and it ended on Mostert, but I don't think that necessarily means that there's no chance that it can't, you know, keep revolving this year. And behind Mostert, who comes with, you know, the pass-catching concerns, is Coleman, who I think – I agree with a lot of what Tag said has shown that he can't be a bell cow back. He can be efficient in that, you know, complimentary role, but I don't think he can handle, you know, any 15, 20 touches per week. And then there's McKinnon, who, like you said, Marcus, 
who knows what he is at this point in his career. So after with all those guys having those question marks, I think Hasty comes in then. And if he gets that opportunity, if that door revolving door lands on him and he you know has a big game and can run with it, I want anyone who can be the Niners backfield if I'm getting them for very cheap and Hasty fits that bill. All right. Uh, so as we wrap up the superlatives, uh, Mike Florio, who will be the most overdrafted player out of the NFC West? It feels bad to say. I was debating this one between two guys that we've already spoke about, Hopkins and Mostert. But I think I'm going to go with Mostert just because I'm fearful that if he, if that Niners backfield continues to be like it has been these last couple of years, that we're paying a fifth-round price for a complimentary running back who has two, maybe three other backs there who could get involved. Kyle Juszczyk is still going to you know, be involved in the passing game. So I just worry that that backfield is going to become really crowded like it has been in years past, and you're not really going to be able to trust Mostert like, like you want. And paying a fifth-round price, I think, is still a pretty steep price to pay. So you're expecting him to start in your lineup either as an RB2 or a flex most weeks. Uh, Tags, who, who's the guy we're reaching for the most out of this division? Yeah, I'm going to say that with the running back position, except I'm going to say the guy that's on a worse offense behind a worse offensive line. And, a, you know, I don't want to say worse coach, but uh, Shanahan's, gee, come on, he's a running back guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, Cam Akers, we already talked about him. He's going in that same range as Raheem Mostert, right around that RB28 uh, range. And that's just that's just too expensive for a guy that's going to be at a four-way timeshare. And honestly, you know, we talk about them spending a second-round pick on him uh, this year. Obviously, they did, and they did that you know, kind of ridiculously. They didn't need to do that. They should have addressed their offensive line, but they did that. And last year, we can't forget that Darrell Henderson was drafted. They traded up in the third round last year to get Darrell Henderson. So it's really difficult to say which one it's going to be, which one's going to be better. But again, Akers, you can't say that. He played behind a bad offensive line. That's why he wasn't good as good at college. He didn't post those great numbers. If he's going behind another bad offensive line, then what's the ground to stand on? Uh yeah, I, I look. I I've stayed away from the Rams backfield in general just because I just I don't know. And and Sean McVay has done nothing to clear it up. Not, not that it's his job to clear things up for us, uh, but yeah. he has not done anything to clear things up for us at all. Uh, all right, let's wrap up the show. We'll do some either ors. Uh, I'll give you guys two choices. You can use whatever criteria you want to pick between them. And uh, yeah, just you don't have to go too deep into your analysis. Just you know, I'll, I'll give you two choices. You pick one of them. So, uh, Mike Tagliere, start with you. Daryl Henderson or Tevin Coleman? Give me the unknown, Daryl Henderson. All right, uh, Florian, where are you going? I, I this was a hard one for me. I get the thinking, but I'm going to go with Coleman just because I think he can be the pass catching back for the Niners. All right. Um, Florio, I'll start with you. This this may be blasphemy to ask this question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Larry Fitzgerald or Josh Reynolds? Give me Larry Fitz. The guy, I mean, is a Hall of Famer, one of the best of all time. And they're both, I think, going to be vying for that wide receiver three role. Fitz, though, maybe can become the wide receiver two if he can beat out Kirk in the, in, you know, as those two are battling out in the slot. Uh, I'm going to go with Fitz there over the unproven Reynolds. All right. You stick with the old guy for this one, Tags, or are you going to go uh, go younger? No, you're going to hate me for this, Florio, but I'm going to say Reynolds just because, again, I don't want to say it's a level unknown because we've seen Josh Reynolds have multiple two-touchdown games with the Rams, uh, so that's definitely within the realm of possibilities, and especially if someone like Robert Woods were to miss a game or two, uh, we could plug in Reynolds and know that he's going to get six to eight targets in a game. Larry Fitzgerald is, just be real about it. You're never going to put him in your lineup and be excited about it, no matter what happens. Uh, (laughs) No disrespect to Larry Fitzgerald, one of the best players I've ever watched play the game. You know, Uh, he, He approaches it like... You know, like he should, a very professional player. But uh, to know that he's the, the, I would say he's the number four in that passing game now behind DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, and even Kenyon Drake. 
Yeah, I do think Kenyon Drake's going to absorb a lot of targets in that offense. If what we saw the last eight games was was any indication. Uh, all right, Tags, this is uh, you start with you. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Oh, it's Christmas. I mean, Christmas. Not on, not only is it that's like fantasy championship week, but I mean Christmas. So <laughs> I I write this article called the Primer every week in season, and it's it's like thirty to thirty five thousand words a week. And basically on Christmas, I tell people Christmas is my Christmas in terms of like because that's the last week I write it because it's week sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Christmas is just the best, man. And then like obviously when you have kids, um, like I don't even enjoy getting gifts anymore for Christmas. I enjoy watching my kids open their gifts. That's the best. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Florian, where are you going with that one? Yeah, it's easily Christmas for me. I, I Like I, everything Tag said, you know, Thanksgiving, you're working a bunch and working in football and stuff. But Christmas, it's a whole month, man. It's not just a day. You know, it's just the season, giving gifts, getting to see family and stuff. It's, it's usually the time after football season that I get to spend time with my family again. It's easily Christmas for me. But like ham and pie. <laughs> I mean, to be, to, be, to be fair, Marcus, I could eat ham and pie today if I wanted to. I can go upstairs and do that. <laughs> that's that's a fair. That is a fair point. That is a fair point. Uh, all right, last one. Uh, I was going to say, is it yeah. unpopular opinion to say Thanksgiving food outside of Thanksgiving? A little overrated? You might be right. Um, you know, I do think, I do, I do think, but I do think like, you know, there's, there's a larger market for like stuffing out there for dressing, you know, like there's, there's a larger market beyond just Thanksgiving. I think you should, we could eat it more often, um, than we do just, just that one day a year. Uh, all right. Last one, Florio, plain or peanut M&Ms? Yeah, I know this is an unpopular opinion. Plain for me, I do not like peanuts. I do not like peanut butter, anything like that. So get all of that away. Wait, from hold me. on, hold on. <laughs> do you have a peanut allergy? Because if not, this is the wrong answer. So I do not, but I used to tell people I did because every time you tell someone <laughs> you don't like peanut butter, they're like, but have you tried this? It's usually Reese's and I'm always like, yeah, many times I just don't like it. And people always, all right, but, but you have to eat this. And they always give me some sort of peanut or peanut butter. So eventually I just started being like, yeah, I'm allergic. Sorry, can't eat it. <laughs> oh. I mean, Marcus, uh, you know, you, dude, it, it's peanuts. It's peanut M&Ms. It's almost like, you know, <laughs> if, if you have, so I'm not going to say that, that regular M&Ms are bad. It's like thinking about this, right? Like if you've only ever had a cheese pizza, pizza's awesome, right? Like no matter what, pizza's great. <laughs> but but then once you put, you know, pepperoni on it, it's like a game changer, okay? And then you put sausage and you're just like, wow, this is really good. I had my uncle introduce me to uh, Italian beef on pizza. I'm from Chicago. So it's like he he gets this on there, right? And I was like, oh, I'm not going to try that. It changed me for a little bit because I had it on pizza and then it was like every pizza I ordered, it had to have that. And I'm trying to break that habit now. It's like slowly trying to like get back to just like pepperoni because once you get you, once you open up a world of, of, of pepperoni and sausage and Italian beef and now peanuts, it's the end, dude. You can't go back. It's just, it's so hard to go back. So it, it's definitely peanut for me. I've never had peanuts on pizza. I had peanut butter on pizza, but not actual peanuts. <laughs> How was um, that? It's pretty good. It's shockingly good. I mean, I mean, look, you don't like peanut butter, so I'm not gonna like try and convince you to eat it. But you know, like for those of us who enjoy peanut butter, it's surprisingly good. Uh, you know, I also had peanut butter like on a hamburger. Like it's it's pretty good. Just I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, I will say though, I do you put it on. I like plain M&Ms because I feel like the versatile. Uh, after they're after. versatile, uh, so okay. it's like. I think I think plain M and M's are versatile in the sense that like I like you know when we could still go to movie theaters like I would buy popcorn and M and M's and pour them together and like eat, like I feel like having a peanut M M&M and M would just be a little much it would just be it'd be a little extra 
so I think I think Wait, plain M and M's kind of have a little controversy to do it. You mix popcorn and M and M's. Yeah, I've never absolutely. done that. Is it good? It's fantastic. Yes, the way your the way your pizza the way your pizza world got opened up, your movie theater experience is about to take a, a major jump forward. Um, whenever we can go back to movie theaters ever again, uh, so right. yeah, um, <laughs> guys. I, I appreciate you coming in uh, and, and helping me out and closing out Fantasy Camp. Uh, I know that generally folks who watch who, who watch this stream, who listen to this podcast, know where to find you. But uh, tags for, for those who are maybe uninitiated, where can they find your work? Yeah, on Twitter, at Mike Taglier NFL. Um, yeah, on the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. Uh, we're there. We're doing five days a week now. So uh, thanks for having me, Marcus, man. I always, I, I'm so sad that we didn't get to do this in person because uh, you and I just yeah. hanging out, talking football for a little while, like hanging out, you know, having a couple of those shandies that you were talking about. I really do miss <laughs> that. And, uh, you know, we look forward to next year, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Florio, uh, hopefully you are back with us on a regular basis very soon. But uh, in the meantime, where, where are you putting up stuff? I will be back with you guys very soon, but the best place to get any of my work is on Twitter at Michael F. Florio, two Fs in there. And then uh, I also right now I'm hosting every Saturday and Sunday morning, 6 to 8 a.m. Eastern, Rotoballer Radio on Sirius XM Fantasy. So if you want more, you could uh, head over there and listen to the show. Uh, that's the show you're doing with uh, Scott Engel, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, the king. The king. As he so, likes to call awesome. himself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But hey, I appreciate you guys stopping in. And for all of you guys out there as well, hanging out with us, we appreciate it as well. We are done. That is it. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, if you're too open-minded, your brains will fall out. Take care of yourselves. Wear a mask. We'll see you on Tuesday on the NFL Fantasy Football Show and Podcast presented by Caesars Rewards. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.